Goldthorpe is number one. A kickstart for Australia. Gold in a world record. Now it's Donovan Bailey trying to pick up runners. Donovan Bailey is putting on the third. A perfect score, 10.0 for Nancy Cavanici, a perfect score. The first time I've never seen anyone get a over 100 years, nobody's won as many medals at the Olympic Games in any sport than this great champion, Michael Phelps. Usain Bolt, sprinting ahead, winning by daylight and setting a world record. 9.68, the wind is okay. How easy was that? Welcome back to Off the Podium, and let me start off by saying, hello, Ben. Hello, Colin. I'm glad you remembered I'm here straight away. Thank you for doing that awkward bit already. I'm this week's guest, talking about my Olympic experiences. Yeah, well, I mean, close, because this, for the first time, we get to uh, talk to somebody in a new sport, somebody in a sport you have a lot of experience with, a lot of experience of holding open doors and... Hey, I didn't hold open doors. I ushered them off the mat to the media. Thank you. Saying no to people, uh, yeah. get away from my athletes. Uh, this, this is, <laughs> this is your sport. This is where you have your history. But we get to talk to our first ever boxer, which is great. And uh, if if we were to go back uh, five years ago when we started the show, in fact, I think we even talked about this five years ago. You know, who are some of the guests you'd really have to have? I mean, the name Mandy Bujold was one of the ones who came up for me immediately, and we're talking all the way back in Rio. Mm. Uh, and here we flash forward five years. She's had a lot go on in the last five years. Um, so, I mean, there, there are plenty of stories to tell even before Tokyo, but uh, we're going to get so much stuff in here. I mean, this is definitely one of those interviews that I sort of thought about for a long time. It would be great if we could get her to talk. It, it was zero work. I mean, she's got so much to tell. It was just fantastic. Yeah. No, I, I'll i be honest. I wasn't overly familiar with Mandy until you, you told the story, I think. I don't, I don't remember if you told it on air. I think you did tell it on air, but you mm-hmm. told Jared and I a bit of it, sort of the situation. Might have even been in our either our preview episode or sort of a look ahead to Tokyo episode um and yeah was fascinated by this story obviously Mandy gets into a lot of it in this interview but um yeah I, I the interesting fact of this interview you're talking about my history with the sport my one month working at the Commonwealth Games in boxing um didn't even bring it up with her I was restrained uh she wasn't she was she wasn't there at the Commonwealth Games so there wasn't a lot really to talk she about she knew that there was going to be a bad media guy yeah <laughs> she just wanted I remember to that guy like that's why we're avoiding having anyone from uh the Gold Coast on from boxing you got that Waterworth guy working that, no 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 guy. I'm dropping out <laughs> no but no this is it, it is really fun. and like as sort of you know mentioning uh, in terms of a sport that we haven't covered before. Um, you know, it's always exciting to do that. But this is a great chat. Learn a lot. And um, definitely is going to make me rethink the next time I want to call in sick to something. So I'll just yeah. put it that way. <laughs> yeah, stay tuned for that. Uh, so uh, enjoy a uh, l- long-awaited interview here. Boxing great, Canadian great, Mandy Bougeau. It's always exciting to check off a new sport as we get to talk to an Olympic athlete that we've never talked to in a sport before. Uh, even more exciting when it's somebody who uh, probably made more news going into Tokyo than most of our gold medalists did coming out of Tokyo. Today we have Canadian Olympic, two-time Olympic boxer, Mandy Bujold. Mandy, thanks so much for joining us on Off the Podium. Thank you so much for having me. You, you have such an interesting story. I think that uh, even before everything with Tokyo happened, which we'll eventually get to, 
Uh, when we did this show a couple of years ago, uh, one of us on the line here actually worked at the Commonwealth Games. And I remember telling him, I was like, oh, yeah, I really hope Mandy Bujold's there. I mean, you, there's going to be you know, a great story to tell and everything like that. I mean, forget about Tokyo. You've got such an incredible history. I'm interested to dig into all of it before we even get to a lot of the drama that you've experienced over the years. Uh, let's just start with how you got into boxing. I mean, this is something that I grew up watching, um, probably played around in the basement with some big mittens, but never actually got in the sport. So how did you actually land into boxing? Um, I mean, that's actually a perfect segue into how I started. Um, <laughs> you know, when I was, when I was younger, I was never really involved in sport. Like my parents would, you know, put me in things like baton twirling or artistic gymnastics and, um, I was just never really good at them. I wasn't flexible. So like really early on in life, I was just like, okay, I'm just not an athlete and I'm okay with that. And I kind of just <laughs> went in a different direction. Um, and one day um, my brothers were fighting all the time and my parents decided they were going to go buy a boxing bag and two sets of boxing gloves and like hang this up in the basement so that my brothers would hit the bag instead of hit each other. <laughs> this was their big strategy. Um but it didn't work. Uh, but what it did do is it like, it, it gave me some interest in the sport. And I remember like, I mean, I don't want to age myself, but back then you couldn't like YouTube, you couldn't like how to anything. Um, so I would just like put these gloves on and hit the bag. I didn't know what I was doing, but I just like really enjoyed something about it. Um, so yeah, around that time, I was probably about like eight, nine. Um, and then little later on my family moved to Kitchener Ontario there's just like um huge history for boxing um in Kitchener Waterloo that's like I'm, the gym I started at was where Lennox Lewis started at for example and um yeah like I just you know initially walked into the gym thinking okay this is just for fitness this looks like a really cool skill I want to learn how to be able to throw punches and protect myself. I never thought like I was ever going to take it to this point. It was really just more around um, learning the skill of boxing. So anyway, needless to say, I stuck with it. And here we are today. It's fascinating to kind of hear that. And I'll just say um, you, you're allowed to age yourself, Mandy, because I believe you and I are basically <laughs> the same age. So um, <laughs> Colin's the old one we've, on this episode. We've so. had far too many guests on where we, we feel really old. So. Yeah, w w when we ask a question, oh, of, really? what's the first Olympics you remember? And they start saying things like Beijing and London. We're like, oh, crap, this is, um, this is, this is going well. But, I, I mean, I'd be intrigued to sort of know, like, sort of with that, that history of, of the sport there, what was in terms of like when you got involved in it, sort of where was women's boxing at at that point in, in Canada? Because obviously it was a bit late to the party in coming to the Olympics, as we'll obviously get to. But, I mean, kind of what was the scene like? Were there high participation numbers sort of with female boxing at, at that point? No. Like when I started, um, there were a few girls in the gym. Like I would say Canada had a national team. Um, they may have traveled, you know, once or twice um type thing but um it wasn't like super big like I do remember one girl in my gym in particular and again that was one of the things that like kind of motivated me is like watching her spar with the guys and I was just like wow like <laughs> that looked pretty badass like she was beating them up and it was like I want to be that girl <laughs> um so yeah, there were, there were a few around, but I mean, over the years, there was so many moments and so many days where you'd look around I wouldn't even really notice at first, but every once in a while you look around and you're like, oh yeah, I guess I'm the only girl here. <laughs> <laughs> um, and now it's like, it's obviously changed quite a bit, 
Um, but yeah, there was definitely some, some growing that had to happen. I think the Olympics was a good thing, um, for women's boxing. It really helped us, um, you know, just get to that big stage where young girls can now see it on TV and be like, Hey, maybe never thought boxing before. Maybe I'll give it a shot. I was very excited to hear you mention Lennox Lewis's gym there. Um, I, I just a bit of a history for me. I mean, my wife and I, we have uh, an older boy that we weren't sure if we were going to have any other kids. So he had three middle names. Then we had twin boys, so we had run out of boy middle names very quickly. So I told her, I'm like, I get to name one of the twins uh, middle names from James Bond. So his middle name is Bond. And the other one, I said, I want to name him Lennox. So uh, we have Lennox as one of the middle names because of Lennox Lewis. But uh, I didn't even realize until uh, just recently, uh, reading up a little bit, but you actually shared a trainer with Lennox Lewis as well. I mean, was that a, what age did, uh, did that, I guess, training start with him? And uh, what was that like to train to somebody who actually trained an Olympic medalist slash world champion slash all-time legend? Yeah. Um, so I, so Adrian Tudorescu is the coach, um, that took Lennox to the Olympics. Um, and like Adrian was a legend in the boxing world. Um, you know, he coached, he came over from Romania and he literally coached any Canadian who ever won a world title or Olympic medal, um, for like, you know, the 50 years that he was coaching full time. So yeah, having the opportunity to work with him was amazing. Um, especially because, you know, when I started going to him full time, it was after 2012 when I didn't qualify. Um, and the coach that I was working with at the time essentially told me that research, I don't know where he found this research research says that if you don't qualify for your first Olympics, you're never going to qualify for the Olympics. So essentially your career was over. So 2012, my career was over. Um, so that's when I, um, went to Adrian because I had kind of met him, Um, we were doing a little bit of work here and there whenever I was going over to Europe. Um, he was just kind of like teaching me some of the stuff that I would need to know when I was fighting these girls. So there was always a little bit of a connection there, but I mean, I wrote it down like three years before I even went to him that like, if I could work with him full time, it would take my boxing to another level. Um, and it did. So like working under, under his, um, uh, gym and, and with him in my corner, like he's just coaches at a different level. Like he doesn't even have to really say anything. You just know what he expects from you. Um, and he just brings the best out of you. Like, and even if you want to give a hundred percent, he makes you give 110 because he just demands that like greatness from everybody that works with him. We always like to find out from our guests in terms of just Olympic aspirations, obviously going through boxing at that point, it didn't come onto the Olympics, female boxing, I should say until 2012. I mean, did you grow up sort of with aspirations of an Olympics in general, maybe in, a, in another sport, or were you sort of so focused on boxing that given that it wasn't part of the Olympic program for a lot of your junior career, that it really wasn't something you strive to until they announced it and thought, okay, well, this is actually achievable now? Yeah, no, I did not. I don't even think I knew what the Olympics were when I was younger, to be honest. Wow. <laughs> yeah, no, like definitely not for me, like athletic family. <laughs> um, you know, we would watch like the hockey playoffs. <laughs> That was probably like the extent of like um, sport that really like happened in my house. Um, so no, definitely no. Um, I mean, like like I said, growing up, I wasn't really involved in sport. It wasn't until I was 16 that I walked into a boxing club and I had no idea, 
you know, where the sport was going to take me or like if the Olympics were even a thing. So after I started kind of competing and realizing, Hey, like I'm pretty good at this. Then like, you know, I started to be like, okay, let's win a provincials. Let's win a nationals. And then once you're a national champion, then it's like, okay, like what else? Like you always want that next step. Um, so right away, like 2012, it was obviously the dream is to go to that Olympics. Um, but it, it you know, for me, it didn't work out. It was, you know, the whole qualification system there was a little bit um, confusing, I guess, for people um, because it was the first time and they were just figuring it out. But um, now, now things are, I think, a little bit smoother. Um, so, yeah. Was there a lot of disappointment when you realized you weren't going to make London or because that was the first time? I mean, had you heard yet that or did it come afterwards that uh, bad advice of if you don't make it the first time around, you're not going to make it? Because, I mean, you were coming off of success with the Pan Am Games and you must have at least thought to yourself, hey, you know, if the Olympics don't work, there's Commonwealth, there's Pan Am after that. Yeah, um, I mean, I was definitely disappointed. Um Again, there was just so much like politics involved with that Olympics in 2012 too. Like there was like some wild card spots that were being handed out. Um, you know, even like Boxing Canada tells me my name's entered in for one of these wild cards. Come to find out they didn't even submit my name. So there was just a lot of like, well, wait a second. Like, does my own sport organization believe in me? Am I the only one that believes in me? Like what, you know, <laughs> what's going on here? Um, so yeah, disappointment, but also like you said, there was, okay. Like I was still young enough, um, you know, and just kind of like really getting that international experience, starting to get those big wins, like the Pan American games, um, that it was a pretty easy decision to stick it out for another four years. Is there a, a peak age or sort of an age in boxing where you're, you know, you work towards, like you mentioned sort of you, you were still young, sort of London, what about 25, I believe. So, I mean, you know, that's still relatively young so i mean is it kind of a case of that okay well i'll be 29 by rio so that's that's more of a, a an ideal age where i want to be or looking forward to tokyo i mean kind of what sort of how does that work in boxing yeah i mean i think for women we see it a lot and i don't know if it's because like like we were talking like the olympics started a little bit like later um but a lot of the girls in boxing are peaking a little bit later so i would say like women peak between that like 28 to 32 33 um range in boxing that's what i've seen um so yeah again i just it was more of like okay am i still in this for the right reasons it was more of like a do I still have the passion to do this? Because obviously the training and everything that goes into boxing, it's, I think like no other sport that you can really compare it to. Cause it's just, you know, mentally physical, like it's just, it's everything <laughs> that you have to put into it. Um, and it's, you know, it takes up your entire life. So you have to be really committed. And then also there's someone else in there that wants to essentially take your head off. So <laughs> if you're not prepared, um, it, it's not a good thing. So I think you have to really just make sure you're 100% in it. And I think that was all I had to really, you know, figure out after 2012. I know in boxing, oftentimes the weight class, you know, uh, sometimes there's even strategic moves as to which one you want to be in. Uh, you know, uh, fighters will go up a weight class, go down a weight class because maybe they they want a shot at something or they think they have a better shot. Uh, for you, I think you're in the flyweight category. Uh, 
was that just the natural fit for you? That was where you're most comfortable or uh, did, did you figure, okay, I want to actually fit in. And then also how hard is it to be able to stay in that weight class? You know, when you're training all the time, like do you, do you have to weigh yourself three times a day to make sure that you're actually going to make uh, the, the class you want to go for? Yeah. 51 is actually a pretty comfortable weight class for me. I will say that. Um, I did start out like cutting down to 50 was the old weight division. And now I think they actually just changed it back just recently. Um, so it was natural. And then when they announced the Olympics, they moved it to 51, which I was like, great. I get an extra kilo, <laughs> um, which was, which was look good for me, but no, I don't think I really have to struggle too much, which is I'm like something I never really enjoyed for boxing is making weight. Like that's just, um, it's just not a good feeling. So I do, I mean, I try to stay active all the time so that I don't have to worry about like those big weight cuts. Um, I'll usually walk around like 116, 117. Then like, as my training gets closer, you kind of get it down to a science, but you have it, you know, so that you're maybe two pounds over and then you just kind of lose the rest in water weight. So it's, it's not so much of a struggle. You kind of, again, you learn as you go along with like, what you can eat, what you can eat, um, as you're getting closer to weigh-ins. Um, and yeah, I mean, naturally, I think in a, any weight management sport, you step on the scale a lot. Mm. <laughs> it's probably, um, not the healthiest thing. Um, but yeah, you just get so used to like having your body feel a certain way, look a certain way, and then like weigh a certain amount. So you can almost like you put all those together and you're always just like almost obsessing about, Oh no, like what's my weight? What's my, like, it's, it does become, um, you know, something that you have to kind of make sure that when you're not <laughs> getting ready for a competition that you don't step on a scale because it uh, <laughs> it can become an unhealthy habit for sure. You, you mentioned about the training and, I mean, yeah, just the uniqueness around sort of what you have to do in the sport. I mean, sort of at your peak, what what's a general week like? I mean, do you have to kind of really balance between physical and then strategic and then even kind of like things like agility. I mean, our Australia's boxer, Harry Garside, famously when he won the bronze in Tokyo, a lot of the talk was around the fact that he did ballet to kind of help, you know, his agility there in the ring. I mean, kind of take us through some of the things that you're doing out there to kind of really hone your skills when you're going to these major competitions. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously the physical training is a huge part of it. So you have like your regular boxing training, um, which could be like, you know, your bag work, your sparring, your, your pads, um, just doing that one-on-one -on -one technical work with your coach, um, which builds like the muscle memory conditioning. Um, but then you have the other side of things where like, you still have to be able to run because you got to build up like the cardio aspect and the endurance and you got to do sprints because you got to be able to like turn it on because boxing is not like, um, like it's only three minutes, three minute rounds. So you have to be able to like go at a pace and then like pick it up really quickly and then slow down and then pick it up really quickly. So you really need to be able to do intervals. You have to have like fast feet. So doing a lot of like ladder drills, that type of thing. Um, yeah, there's so many aspects. Then you also have to be strong enough to like, okay, when you're landing punches, you want to have impact on those punches. So you have to have a, a strength program to do. Um, so you do have to kind of find a balance on like, well, what works, like how many times a week are you going to do each of these, um, like aspects of training and then trying to fit in some like, you know, flexibility, um, recovery. So, you know, for me, massage is usually like the biggest recovery, um, piece, and um like rolling out stretching that type of thing um and then you're also adding in maybe some reaction training um i do a lot of stuff with like blaze pods just trying to like work on some different reaction 
um, doing some like mental performance stuff um, with my like sports psychologist. So that would be, you know, added in, like just working through different scenarios. Um, yeah, there's so many aspects. Something more recent that I've added would be like some cognitive training. So just really doing some like multitasking things. So I think like if you if you watch boxing, like Lomachenko does a lot of um, that type of training. So, you know, if you have like a number board in front of you and you're trying to find the numbers from like one to 30, but you're also, you know, singing Oh Canada while you're doing it, <laughs> for example. <laughs> um, so like trying to do things like that um, and then be able to like react to catch a ball, you know? So you're always wow. like thinking and being able to see all the reactions. Um, or all the openings um, when you're sparring. So yeah, tons of components um, to put in, but yeah, the training is, you know, two to three times a day, six days a week. Um, so yeah, it's a pretty, pretty busy schedule. Yeah. I think the first time where um, I probably noticed uh, you on the media radar and everything like that was uh, during the 2015 Pan Am games, which uh, maybe because that was here in Canada, you know, it, it was just so much of a bigger deal. I remember just being on TV everywhere. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. what was it like to be able to not only compete in your home country, but to be able to, to medal in you know, what I guess outside of the Olympics, at least here in North America would be considered like, this is the peak. This is as big as it gets for your sport. Yeah, um, that was amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, very much like one of the highlights of my career. Um, and a big reason for that too is that like in that final, um, that was a very like personal fight for me. <laughs> this was a girl that had beat me um, three times before. We always had really, really close fights. I knew that like this was the girl I had to prepare for. Um, at the time she, she had just won the world championship. So she was the number one in the world. She was on like this like 28 fight win streak and they were talking about it all over the news and she was, you know, sponsored by Coca-Cola and Nike and CoverGirl and, you know, like we're just like, okay, we're going to try and like go with there and we got zero funding and zero whatever, but we're going to do it. <laughs> so it was kind of fun, like just to be like on the other side of like this girl's walking in here, think she's just going to like take it. Um, but I don't know. It was just, it was a really cool, like I was so mentally tuned in for that fight. Um, there's like a lot of like really fun moments leading into that fight um, for me that make it like a really good memory. Um, and then obviously to be on home soil, to actually be able to like have my family there watching like the whole journey, like every fight in the tournament, which they've never done even since um, was pretty cool. You just described the plot of Rocky there. I mean, the, the, the dominant unbeaten champ who has yeah. all the funding against the unfunded underdog in their home city. I mean, that, that, that that's incredible right there. Let's make the, the Mandy Bujold Pan Am Games movie. Right? <laughs> yeah, there was honestly like, that's probably one of the stories I share the most because there were so many like funny moments leading up to that, um, leading up to that fight where like, even like at the weigh-ins, for example, um, I got to the weigh-ins that morning and she was the only other, like normally like the room is full of boxers who were fighting that day. And she was the only other boxer in the room when I got there, which was like at first, like, oh, okay, this is kind of awkward. Um, but I kind of like, oh, I'm going to take advantage of this moment. And I like went over and I like, just put my stuff down beside her, but like kind of brushed her shoulder like a little bit. 
<laughs> and got like this reaction from her, like, what the hell are you doing? Um, and I just like pretended, you know, I'm just a nice Canadian. That never happened. <laughs> um, but it's funny because like later she tried to like get me back for that by like being in my area where it was warming up. Like I was supposed to be in the red corner area. She was in the blue corner area. And then like when I got there, she was already all set up in my like space as though to be like, you have to go somewhere else. Like make, put me out of my comfort zone right before the fight where I was like, oh, hell no. <laughs> so like, it was all like little things, right? Where it was like a mental fight between us before even stepping into the ring. So I think, yeah, it was, it was just, there was lots of fun, fun parts to that. Typical American, let's just put it that way. Yeah. Um, the, the, thing, the thing I always like asking sort of, you know, in, in different sports, that aspect of, of, you know, sledging mental, you know, kind of like having a bit of a go at the competitor. I mean, boxing kind of the quintessential sport when it comes to that. I mean, I, I can almost imagine it's kind of the opposite. I mean, do you, do you often look at a draw at an event and just look at your opponent and go, oh, I hate her. Oh, her. I can't wait to punch her. Like, and then, oh, God, it's going to feel so good just punching the crap out of her. Like, I mean. But maybe it's the opposite question for boxing. Is there ever sometimes yeah. when you go, oh, I like her. I don't want to hit her. She's nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it is. I mean, it really depends. Like, I honestly don't usually think like that. Like, for me, it's really, like, I don't I don't love the trash talk and all that, like, stuff that goes along with, let's say, the pro side of boxing. And some people try to bring it into the amateurs. Um, I've never been one to do it. Like, I just like to let my skill do the talking. Um but no, like, I mean, when I go in there, honestly, like I'm so tuned in. It's all about strategy. I don't usually have anything personal. It was only this girl is probably the only fight that I was like, this is personal, like because of some things that were said. But um, other than that, no, I try to keep that out of it because then you just get too emotionally involved and um, then you're not just, you don't have the same focus, right? So I like to have like a super clear mind going into um, fights and yeah. But yeah, sometimes you actually do have people that you really like and you're like, well, I kind of feel bad for this person, especially if you're really beating them up and you kind of like go easy. But like, okay, I won't stop them, but I'll <laughs> just like uppercut. I'm sorry. Right hook. Sorry again. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a Canadian boxing way. I can imagine though. Every single time you hit someone, you apologize. <laughs> I mean, obviously, you know, you have your story from London, you know, you just miss out the Pan Am games. You have your, your great victory. Rio was a completely different matter. I mean, uh, really, I think you were doing quite well. And then you were, you were hit with an illness or something like that. What was that? Yeah. So right before my quarterfinal match, um, I ended up like, and I had everything ready. I had made weight. My bag was packed. Everything was ready. I was fighting the next morning at 11 o'clock. And then I just started to feel a little sick and I was like in bed it was about 10 p.m and I was just thinking okay maybe it's just nerves like okay I'm at the Olympics like I'm just maybe going through I don't know like nerves um and then I got up and I got sick and then I thought okay like trying to mentally tell myself like I'm good now like got that out of my system just gonna go to bed <laughs> and then I just like kept waking up and getting sick and after the third time I was like okay I think I'm actually sick and I should probably call my coach um because I remember he told me that there was a doctor on site so I called him and then right away they brought me to the doctor I ended up coming down with some sort of like tourist virus um so they brought me over to the hospital um in the morning and I had lost like five pounds of fluids on top of like making weight. So I was like, 
completely dehydrated. Um, so they just tried to like, you know, give me some fluids through an IV, um, you know, give me medication, but it was, it was a bit of chaos. Like I was like there and I was so weak and tired from like just being so dehydrated that, I could just see all the doctors. There's three different doctors. There's language barriers. They didn't know what they could give me, what they couldn't give me because of all like the anti-doping regulations. And like, I was about to step into the ring and they weren't sure if I was going to step into the ring. Like it was just, it was just like a little bit crazy, but nonetheless, like that was a moment where I knew that, you know, uh, in 2012, I didn't make it. And now it was just like, this cannot be happening. Like <laughs> 13 years of training, I'm at this moment, like this has got to be a nightmare. Um, and I mean, I just kept thinking about like something that my sports psychologist used to tell me all the time. And it was that it's not about what happens to you that counts. It's about how you react to what happens to you that matters. And like, I don't know why it was like really weird, like <laughs> felt like a dream, but I just like kept going through my head because it was like, I could be really pissed off right now and just like waste my energy and just like not even try getting into the ring. Cause that's what the doctors like thought I was going to do. Um, or I can just like, you know, take it all in and just go one step at a time. And then just, again, it was like moment by moment. I had no idea I was going to step into the ring till like my foot hit the canvas. Um, so yeah, that's what I did. And I about, um, I think it was nine 50, so an hour and 10 minutes before, like we took the IV out, I got on a bike, lucky the hospital was like right across or not far, I should say from our venue and like biked over again, it was like out of a movie. Like there was this volunteer and he had to like, his job was like to run beside me to make sure I didn't fall off this bike wow. <laughs> on my way over to the venue. Um, and yeah, so I got there and everything was kind of like laid out and set up for me. I tried to warm up, couldn't warm up. Um, so I just like focused on being mentally prepared. Like, what would I normally be thinking right now? You know, the doctors were trying to convince me that it hadn't been um, 24 hours since I like first got the illness so that my muscles were still going to be able to react. Like, even if it felt like you feel really weak right now, like you just have to trust your muscle memory. And they were giving me like, like an instant insulin. Um, like it was like a gel or something. They were trying to like, give me this to like boost my, like, <laughs> um, I don't know. Like it was just the sugar levels and stuff. Anyway, it was, um, just a complete nightmare to be honest. And the next thing I knew, like I was standing there behind the curtain, the cameras in my face and, um, yeah, I went out there and I boxed and, you know, I, I didn't just box anybody. I boxed like a three-time world champion and a, an Olympic silver medalist, now bronze medalist from China. And, um, it was still a really close fight. And yeah, like it just, I guess it just kind of shows you like how, you know, mentally strong, like all the training and, you know, all the things you go through leading up to that can really make you. And, definitely made me very stubborn because I didn't want to give up and I just I knew I'd come that far and that I would have regretted it forever if I didn't at least step in there and um, give it a shot. What I love about that story is that I think we can all relate on one level is that you've always got one of those days where you're sick and you're like oh, I need to go to work today I've got a busy day ahead like I have to go like oh, but I'm sick. Ah, oh, screw it. I'm going to go to work, right? And you always feel a bit like you walk into the office and you're like, yeah, look at me. I'm committed. You know, I'm, I'm sick, but here I am. <laughs> you're literally telling that story an hour and 10 minutes before an Olympic quarterfinal that essentially you probably shouldn't be competing, but 
stuff it. It's an Olympic quarterfinal. So uh, if anybody needs inspiration listening to this today, maybe you're listening before going to work, no, I'm a bit sick, should I go? Listen to this story because, <laughs> you know, if, if Mandy can do that in the Olympics, I think if you've got a bit of a sniffle. I mean, it's it's incredible to kind of just, just think. I mean, after that bout, do you do you just go back to the village and collapse and sleep for three days? I mean, kind of like do you then all of a sudden have to like recover from that, not only from I guess disappointment of losing an Olympic quarterfinal, but then all of a sudden you, oh shit, I'm still sick. Got to got to recover from this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it definitely went back. Um, I kind of went into like quarantine because obviously we didn't want to make any of the other athletes sick um, who were still competing. But yeah, I mean, definitely had a lot of time to like reflect. It was, you know, like it was something that was really hard for me. Like, I mean, I couldn't tell this story even like um for about a year after it had happened because it was just I was so emotionally like attached to this um like this dream and like how much I put into it and you know everything that happened leading into it so it was it was really tough for me um to go through all of that and just you just think about like oh my god like even like I had four days off in between my two fights and it's like what if it would have happened like right after I like the first fight and like maybe I would have had time to recover and like you know you think of like every scenario and it's just like why <laughs> did this happen um but nonetheless like that definitely did um become a motivating factor for me on why I continued to go because that was supposed to be my last olympics and then it was like well I can't leave it like that <laughs> and then it's like okay now we have four more years <laughs> Well, five almost, I guess you thought five, for at the time, yeah. which, which really that, that, that kind of brings us to, I guess, outside of Canada. I mean, here in Canada, people probably know your name, but outside of Canada, I guess most people would associate you with a lot of the stuff that happened pre-Tokyo, which uh, again, I almost feel like, you know, <laughs> how do I even set this up? You can just basically tell the story, but basically what it comes down to, from what I understand is, I mean, you, you, you had a baby, you plan this. Uh, I think a lot of people maybe have misinterpreted the story by not reading enough thinking, well, you know, she had a baby and now she wants into the Olympics. She missed qualifying. You plan this around the qualification. Yeah. You're like, I want to make yeah. sure I'm there to qualify. And then of course COVID happens, which nobody's really faulting the world or Olympic committee or yeah, anything yeah. for that. But <laughs> I guess it, what was it? It was more just the fact that uh, they, they were, they were not going to give an opportunity to you, or I guess others who had missed that, or can you kind of give people the gist of uh, the whole drama going into Tokyo? Yeah, so much drama. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it was, I mean, just again, it's a crazy time, but yeah, like you said, um, as an athlete, as a female athlete, I should say, um, you're, you have to plan your, if you want to have a baby between Olympic cycles, you have to plan that properly because there's going to be specific events that you need to attend, um, that are going to be qualifying events, or for some people it's like a point system and you have to get X amount of points. So you have to think about that and plan around um, the Olympic cycle, which I did. Um, I planned it so that I would have one year, I'd be back to training and competing one year before any qualification tournaments happened. So I could like have that build up to um, being like prepared and actually having the best opportunity to qualify. Um, so yeah, everything was perfectly fine up until um, like COVID hit. So I had essentially um, completed step one before COVID hit, which was winning our Canadian Olympic um, trials. 
And that was like the end of 2019. And then the next step, which would have got my spot at the Olympics was the America's qualifier. So each continent has their own qualifier. So that was in March, literally a week before, or like a week after um, COVID hit or like the pandemic hit. And, you know, I was kind of watching things on the news thinking like, oh, I think we'll be able to get there and get back before this gets too crazy. <laughs> like when you're watching the numbers go up. And then we just got a call that like essentially Argentina shut down flights and people couldn't go in. So it was canceled. Um, so that was devastating because it was, um, you know, obviously the Olympic trials and you're thinking like, oh no, like now what? And then you're kind of like in this panic of like the Olympics are still going forward. Um, but you're kind of being left out and, um, and then the Olympics get canceled and postponed, which has never happened in history. Right. Like, so now this is like, okay, well, a little bit of hope, but also like, well, man, now I have to train for another year. <laughs> and like, I'm already pushing this by like being here for another four, for the four that I was. Um, so that was, that was tough. But, um, again, so we go through the whole cycle. We, you know, again, prepare, do what we can. We're, pretty limited. Um, you know, in Canada, we couldn't really do much contact. We weren't allowed to compete. We weren't allowed to like travel to compete. Um, so like we had essentially 18 months of like no activity leading up to the Olympics, which is absolutely crazy when you think about it. Um, but, um, yeah, so get to that moment again, where things start opening up. Okay. We're getting dates on the calendar again. Here's the two Olympic qualifiers. And then in February of 2021, we hear that the the world qualifier gets canceled. So we're like, oh no, <laughs> there's one canceled. Now they're just gonna have our continental qualifier. Um, so you only have one shot and then we're getting ready for this. And again, like two weeks before we kind of got a call and it was like, okay, like they're going to make the final decision next week. Um, they're looking at a few different things and you're thinking, oh God, what do you mean final decision? Like this was supposed to be happening. Um, anyways, it gets canceled. And then we're just all sitting in limbo trying to think of like, how are they going to qualify the athletes? Like every other continent was able to get back to their qualification systems and get the athletes qualified in the ring. And now the Americas are like, our continents not going to have that opportunity. So what they did was they retroactively selected. So from that time they looked back and they were like, okay, let's just randomly pick, you know, three events that we'll just say those were the qualifying events. And of course the three events they picked were like in an 11 month span, like essentially the only <laughs> events in 16 years that I missed. Um, and wow. due to my like pregnancy and postpartum period. So initially I was just like, a little bit like oh no like do am I the only person that feels like this is like how can that be like I'm being left out for this reason like this doesn't make sense um so I called a friend of mine who just happened to be like um the number one litigator in Canada and I don't usually <laughs> ask her for legal advice because I'm like everyone probably ask like ask, calls her all the time asking for legal advice so I never do <laughs> But this one was like, okay, I have to just like put this out there in a conversation to see what she says. And like, it took her like three minutes and a quick like Google search of like the Olympic charter to be like, well, no, they're in complete violation of the Olympic charter. And this is like a case of discrimination based on sex or a gender equity case. So yeah, that was the beginning of it. And then we, you know, again, we tried to bring it forward. We tried to say like, hey, like, 
give them the benefit of the doubt. They didn't think of this. <laughs> let's just put it in a formal letter. Let's even have the letter hand delivered in Switzerland to make sure that they realize that we want to bring this forward and like show them what's happening, that this is serious. Um, and just again, just kind of getting pushed off, pushed off. Um, so we had to just take a next step and say, okay, well, we're going to file for um, at the court of arbitration for sport and you know that's the highest level of court you can take them to and i think even at that point they didn't think we were going to take it as far as we did because then they just try to keep throwing stuff at you to get you to like you know not take it that far um but i don't think they realized but now they do that <laughs> the lawyer i had in my corner was um quite fierce and was not going to back down from a fight and, not to mention um, a mother. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and a boxer. Like this is the one sport mother, that yeah. I think you don't want to take on. Like maybe I don't know, an equestrian athlete, sure, but not a boxer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, it was um, it was quite the journey, quite the battle, and I guess you know, despite all odds that were, it seemed like the odds were against us. Like a lot of the way through, just kind of you know how big the IOC is, and just being the largest you know sport organization, they just they kind of make it seem like they can do what they want um but it came down to the panel and there was a panel of arbitrators and um they were the ones that had the final call so when we got the decision it was it was a pretty big moment and a pretty exciting moment because it was you know it was a win for for not only for my spot but for i think the future of sport and um it can definitely make some change in, um you know in the future yeah, this was like such a huge news story. Um, I mean, outside of Canada, I mean, everywhere. There, there are yeah. people all over the world who are carrying this. Uh, I remember when that decision finally came down. I mean, we we're talking, it was within, what was it, like two weeks of the Olympics or something? Yeah, yeah it was, yeah, it was so crazy. It was, uh, yeah, two weeks. I, I had, two, two weeks. I had a, <laughs> well, I had a notification pop up my phone. And I, at this point, I'm thinking, oh, there's no way she's going to compete, even if this is this is just going to be a decision yeah. for future athletes. But all of a sudden, you're like, oh yeah, and I'm going to Tokyo. I'm like, well, how do you? I mean, how do you actually transition from you've been involved in one of the biggest legal battles in Olympic history, one of the biggest, arguably the biggest fight that you've ever had, and it's outside the ring, to I've got two weeks, I'm going to Tokyo. Yeah. Well, I definitely stayed ready as ready as I could during the entire like court case and back and forth which was very very hard because it was you know you're spending three or four hours like you know on the phone with lawyers going over witness prep and like uh, like I just kept telling my lawyer like I don't know how you do this like one minute it's like this is really good for us oh no this sucks like oh this is really good and it's just like way too much of a like a roller coaster um so yeah there was definitely days when i was in the gym and i would just show up and i was just completely deflated or completely in tears and i'd like would just walk into my coach's office and sit there and then he would just have to bring me back up get me through the workout you know a lot of it did kind of feel like i was just going through the motions sometimes but i was there i showed up i showed up to every session i never you know missed a session because of it um because i knew like okay like I have to win this case to go to the Olympics, but if I if I win this case, I have to be ready for the Olympics. So there was always just this like uncertainty hanging over me, and um, yeah, so I did. I definitely tried to <laughs> tried to balance both, but I do think that like the mental energy that I put out into like fighting the case um, was was more than I've you know ever had to do, and something that was hard for me to like come back and 
and then really wanted like when I was at the Olympics it was almost like they kind of took away that like like I don't know like in my mind how I had built up the Olympics for so many years um, it was just like all about you know fair play and like bringing people together and um, equality and like just so many like things that you think when you think of like the Olympic movement um, it just their response and the things that we were seeing behind the scenes was just like, whoa, <laughs> this is not at all what I thought it was. And it took a little bit of that, like, you know, the, the value I put on the Olympics went from here to like way down here. Um, so I think that was hard, like to try to be like, okay, this is something I had to turn it around. Like from, this is something like I really want to win an Olympic medal because I won an Olympic medal to, no, I just want to go there and I want to box the best in the world. And I want to be able to prove myself because that was a better motivator for me at that point. Mm -hmm. um, but trying to change that like mindset of like, not really about a medal. It's more of like, I want to like be able to prove myself. But yeah, I think between going through that and the fact that we did not <laughs> get to step into the ring for 18 months before the Olympics, um, you know, the combination of those two things were just, you know, it's not it's not ideal preparation and I, I just wasn't able to actually perform when it got to time for the Olympic fight. So the thing though, that I, I think learning from all of what you're telling us today, Mandy, is that, I mean, it's obviously, you know, not great to hear that that kind of that opinion can change. We had Evan Dumphy on recently and he sort of was selling, you know, similar things kind of like, you know, the, the opinions of Olympics can change when you're sort of involved in the politics of it all. But I think mm. what's always going to be tied to your story is, it's almost like you've got a bit of a curse around the Olympics, but you've always kind of fought against it. I mean, after sort of London, the disappointment of that, and mm -hmm. Rio comes along, you're doing well, you get sick, but you fight against that. And then your whole fight just to get to Tokyo. I mean, do you think this is something that, you know, in a few years' time when you sort of reflect on your career, the fact that you're an Olympian, they can never take that away from you, that you fought so many more things that, you know, sure a medal would have been great, but you, I guess, showed that, you know, just being an athlete and kind of getting to a games and fighting against all this sort of stuff. And that can still withhold sort of those Olympic ideals, maybe that you once held a little bit higher than you do now. Yeah, absolutely. I think like, like you said, the, the fight outside the ring, especially at this last one was definitely the biggest win of my career. Um, it was um, something that I can be proud of. And I think that it's a way for me to like leave the sport better than I found it. And, um, and yeah, I think it's, there's obviously lots of really great learning um, experiences through sport. Uh, I've, I've, I mean, I wouldn't change any of it because I learned a lot about myself. It made me stronger. It made me the person I am today. So um, definitely wouldn't change anything in that sense. And yeah, there's been obstacle after obstacle. We, ha we all have obstacles in our life. Um, we all, you know, deal with them a little bit differently. For me, I, I just never let those obstacles become barriers and I um, just keep pushing through for what it is that I'm working towards. And I mean, ultimately, you know, obviously your story coming into Tokyo put a lot of spotlight uh, on you on women's boxing uh, as a whole. Uh, I, I think one of the, the big testaments to what a big deal it is, is the fact that, you know, CBC's coverage, they're going to, for something like boxing that goes on for days and days and days, they're going to show it in replays and stuff like that. I mean, they cut live when you had your fight. And uh, I think one of the best things that I saw for the entire Olympics, uh, it, it was the fact that you lost in that fight. And I don't think I've ever, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I almost like there was contentment 
from losing, there was almost your victory was I'm here and I fought. And I think you had a little thing communicating with your daughter back home too. Yeah. Uh, was, was it like a happy moment or, or is it just a little bit of, you know what, I, I'm not in this anymore. You know, the, the Olympic dream has died, but, or, or is, is there happiness just in this was my fight. I came here and this is what I wanted to do. Yeah. I think it was a mix of both, to be honest. Like, obviously, like I would have loved to have that, like, just imagine like how great that story would have been. You win this and then you come up and you end up on the podium, right? Like mm -hmm. that's obviously the dream. And it seemed like things were really lining up to, to make that happen. Like I had a great draw. I had, you know, a lot of those things were like in place when I was looking at it, like, wow, when I got there, I was like, man, I think I can actually do this. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, there's some elements that were just out of my control um, on that side, I think. So there was a little bit of, I think at the end of that fight was kind of like, like it's over <laughs> finally, <laughs> you know, like there was definitely that like relief moment because there was just so much tension and stuff leading up to it. Um, but yeah, then there's also, there's, there's the disappointment. There's the, you know, the excitement around, you know what, like, Hey, I still got here, um, you know, despite all odds. And I, I still, there was still, it's just a big win for women in general and to be part of that. And even just for the people like around the world, like you said, just to, have that much like um interest in the story and to to see that it was important to so many people was like really amazing right like i at first it was you know about me and then it was like no it wasn't about me anymore it was just a bigger fight i was the one that was going to have to push for it unfortunately but it was something that was going to like affect so many people and there were so many people just reaching out even out of the sporting world that were just like relating to things that maybe happened in their workplace or like how they have dealt with different situations. And the, honestly, the support around it was um, amazing. And do you now hope to kind of use some of that and sort of, you know, further develop the, the sport for, for women, kind of sport in general, kind of fighting against kind of these things that clearly that, that men don't have to face sort of in, in the world of sport, kind of you're hoping to take that forward? Yeah. I mean, obviously if there's, you know, opportunities like that, um, you know, even just by sharing my story or, you know, working with other athletes as they, um, you know, develop. Um, I, I love, I love the sporting world and I love, um, you know, so many aspects of it, even on the branding marketing side of things, that's definitely something I'm very passionate about. So, yeah, I mean, I want to stay involved in different ways. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see kind of where that takes me to. You know, before we get to our final series of questions here, uh, there, there's one question I have to ask because I, I thought for a couple of years I've been patting myself on the back. It's like I, I've got uh, two twins, one of which has middle name from James Bond, the other one from Lennox Lewis. Uh, I think you put me to shame because your daughter, it had to have been intentional. She, she is K.O. No. Bujold. That was not intentional? It wasn't intentional. No. <laughs> How is that possible? K.O. I know. Well, initially, I really liked the name Olympia because, I mean, um, Serena Williams named her daughter Olympia or her middle name is Olympia, too. And I really liked that name when I heard it. And um, but then we weren't sure, like, do we name her that or do we give her that as a middle name? Anyway, so we ended up on Kate and then my husband essentially like we were in the NICU. She was premature. And then finally they kept coming in like does she have a name yet <laughs> does she have a name yet we couldn't decide and then finally he's just like you just give her the middle name you want so i picked olympia <laughs> um and then when i posted it someone was like 
wait a second, her initials are KO. I was like, <laughs> oh my God, that's so brilliant. Yes, it is. It totally planned. <laughs> no. <Wow. laughs> You're going to say, just, just roll with it. Just be like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. just, and then when she goes yeah. on to a massive, you know, boxing career as well, gold medal yeah. around her neck, you know, yeah. like, oh, this was planned. Yeah. Mom, my great, <laughs> yeah. you know, look at this and just go for it. Yeah. That's, um, or is it the opposite? She's never going to live that down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <I don't> <laughs> we'll see. Now we, we we close out each interview with a series of questions, sort of a get to know you style questions. Now I'd actually be intrigued. We always like to ask these, particularly to our Canadian guests, because this is a Canadian questionnaire. This was given to athletes ahead of both Rio and Pyeongchang. Oh. And we're learning that a lot of you obviously do sort of a media day, I guess, before the Olympics and you do a lot of questionnaires, a lot of interviews. So you're, you don't have one published on the website for Rio, but maybe you were given this questionnaire. Do you ever remember filling a, a questionnaire called My Name Is where you're sort of getting to know you style questions and Draw drawing pictures. some silly pictures and things like that? Maybe. I mean, I don't know. I've, I don't know how many things like that you fill out over, over time, but... <laughs> Yeah. They all sort of blend together. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah, unfortunately yours, if you did, never made it online. But we've we've okay. chosen today uh, to go with Erica Wee from wrestling just because okay. we thought combat sport, there's no boxes on here. So, uh, and again, if you want to draw, you're always welcome to. There's always, yeah. if you want to send us in, we can publish it on our, our social media. Um, you could probably do a bit of a better job than Erica here. That's a very interesting <laughs> drawing. But anyway, um, we'll start off with the first question. The greatest Olympian of all time is... The greatest Olympian. Mm. Oh my goodness. I don't know. I mean, I'm such a Serena Williams fan. I'm going to say that, but like, Whoa. I want to say, most people, I want to say like most people would go with like um, Usain Bolt mm. <laughs> or like someone in sprinting. Well, I think Serena's a, I, I think she's a legitimate, what she's three, four time gold medalist off the top of my head. I know she's mm. won at least one singles and two doubles gold. So, I mean, that's yeah. pretty incredible. Obviously, she's sort yeah. of a bigger athlete than the Olympics probably, but she's still a pretty good Olympian too. So Yeah. <laughs> uh, next one would be the first Olympics you remember watching was? 2012. <laughs> ah. <laughs> we, we can no, pass no, that just no, because. No, <laughs> no I, watched, I watched 2008 because I had started boxing. And I know we had um, we had a Canadian in there boxing, so I did watch 2008, which is which which really sad. <laughs> it's not an age thing, we know, because you said before about sort of with the Olympics sort of growing up. So that 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 yeah. we're, we're fine with that. Um, if you could be any superhero, who would it be? Um, ooh, that's a good one. Maybe Wonder Woman. Great answer. About I want to be Wonder Woman too. I just, I'm just, I, I feel like I never admit that. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, your favorite ice cream flavor is? Oh, okay. This is like a really easy one for me because basically when I'm training every Sunday, I go get ice cream. Um, so I usually get a double dark chocolate mixed with peanut butter. Ooh, oh, nice. Wow. I always okay. get so hungry at this part of the question. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, there's some questions in here that you sort of you regret. You never ask these on an empty stomach, basically. Um, <laughs> here's, a, here's a good question, actually, because obviously boxing, there's plenty of movies uh, sort of about this. So this could be something maybe you've thought about. I don't know. In a movie about your life, who would play you? Oh, gosh. Um, I don't know. I am so bad with, like, names of actors. Can I play myself? Yeah, of course you can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're we're yeah. not going to say no because we know you're pretty good at fighting so yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> and many levels 
So I mean, <laughs> hey, Muhammad Ali played himself in the biopic. Yeah. yeah <laughs> there you go. Appropriate for your sport. Uh, if you yeah. weren't an athlete, then you would be. Feel free to answer actress. <laughs> Fitz. Yeah. <laughs> Stunt woman. No, yeah. um, <laughs> I'm going to say, ooh, like a chef. Oh, nice. Love I'm getting hungrier. Food. Yep. Yeah. That's that food element. Uh, do you have like, do you, do you cook a lot? Do you have like a specialty go-to dish that you always like cooking? Yeah, no, I just, I, I just love, I love cooking. I love baking. Um, basically anything really. Um, nice. Yeah. Well, we're going to go into another food question. Oh, okay. We like to torture ourselves. Uh, you're, I'm going to take a break to take a snack while you're doing yeah. this. <laughs> well, speaking of snacks, what is your guilty pleasure snack? Um, it's probably the ice cream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ice cream, and it's got mixins in it, like just mm. lots of chocolate. Chocolate's a good one. Um, yeah. Uh, this one is one of the trickier questions, but uh, if you can answer, think one. If not, just go with the song. Uh, your favorite song lyric is a specific lyric from a song that uh, you really love. Um. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Gonna fly now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the Rocky songs. Um, I don't even know. I don't even know what my favorite song is right now. I don't I'm know. thinking I the tiger in my head. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Back that's, definitely, that's definitely a great one for, yeah, for making videos. But I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass on that. I'm never good at naming songs or movies or anything like that. <laughs> I don't pay enough attention. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad this isn't one of those ones where there's a lot more. I mean, there's a question now, though. I don't know how this will fit into that. But um, if if you do sort of have the time, the most recent TV show that you binge-watched is? Um, there's a show I'm, I, I think it's called Good Girls. Oh, yeah. Um, on Netflix. And it's like the moms that are, like, turning mm-hmm. into, like, money laundering. Bank robbers. <laughs> Yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's probably the last show I watched. But, again, I don't watch TV very much. Uh, your favorite place in the world to compete is? Compete? Um, I mean, anywhere in Europe is, is pretty awesome. Um, Italy? Mm-hmm. Good answer. I like it. Now, I'm going to change. Like, I'm, I sometimes do this just because I look at the question here and I'm like, I, I, there's other questions on different questionnaires that I like that I always want to have one. So I'm changing this one up, Colin. I'm not even telling you that I'm changing this one up. Growing up, who was your favorite sports team? Um, I mean, like I said, I don't really watch sports. <laughs> <laughs> I was more intrigued when I'm you like... said you watched the hockey playoffs because, like, this is just oh, more yeah. of a person. Like, did you was there a was there a team that you kind of always, you know? Well, no, it was for? just whatever my dad was cheering for. <laughs> did he like the Leafs? Please tell me he liked the Leafs. <laughs> yeah, my dad, my dad definitely liked the Leafs. I feel like my brother liked the like Boston. Um, wow. Your dad and yeah, brother were mortal enemies, I think. Yeah, I, I know. Your brother like, disowned? We, we, were call, we were kind of all over the place. <laughs> wow. It's all right. You got pain from the Leafs. That's, that, that works. Yeah. <laughs> Goes that way. Uh, I'm going to skip right to the end here because Erica has about, I don't know, 1,700 questions here. So yeah, uh, this, this is a good usual. one to end. This is a good one to end on, though. I'm really liking the answers we're getting from this. The best nickname you've ever been called is? Oh, nickname um oh my gosh i don't even know um mean mandy mean, <laughs> mean mandy. mandy wow that's, that's like appropriate they, yeah mean mandy or um yeah 
I don't really have. It's, it's funny. A, I don't even have a boxing name. Like most boxers have like. Well, a, that mean Mandy sounds like a good boxing name. Yeah. Well, that's exactly like it was like whenever I would beat someone up in sparring, my teammates would always be like, mean Mandy. <laughs> <laughs> when that announcer like, to be like, mean Mandy. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Kind of just going in there. Wow. Okay. Uh, just before we let you go, Mandy, uh, as always, we like to give our guests an opportunity to plug whatever you like, social media, website, sort of anything that uh, maybe listeners can keep up to date with you or sort of anything else that you sort of want to promote before we let you go. Yeah, I guess um, the best way for people to kind of follow along my journey or I, I do post lots of different fun training videos is probably on Instagram and that's just my name. So at Mandy Bougeau. Um, Yeah, that's probably the best way. All right. I mean, this definitely lived up. You had a million stories to tell. Uh, it was great having you on the show and uh, I'm very much looking forward. I think there is a potential here uh, for possibly 2032, you in the corner of KO and the yeah, Olympics. Maybe. Come to Brisbane. You missed out on Gold Coast. Brisbane's calling. Like, you know, Australia yeah, yeah. wants you here, Mandy. Come on. Yeah, it would be, it would be quite amazing. Absolutely. <laughs> was fantastic like we said it would be so hmm. we live up to our word right sometimes <laughs> sometimes yes today we did <laughs> we gave this episode to you for free so appreciate us <laughs> wow snappy colin <laughs> we In gotta get the patreon spirit. started from we got more people listening to off the podium and we're still trying to get patrons for our other shows. Colin, <laughs> we've had this? two patrons for our other shows and I think we've had one Patreon sign up between both. So I, I, I'm kind of not too <laughs> confident on the, uh, the, and plus we play sort of copyright music on this show. So maybe we probably couldn't get away with it. So you know, oh. sorry, John Williams. <laughs> <laughs> he, he has the wealth to spread around, but uh, uh, no, that was, that was great. I mean, uh, I, I think when we do our next best of show, I mean, we got, Plenty. Of, we could just pick the Pan Am game story and that's good enough on its own, but all the other stuff from there is great. Uh, obviously, follow Mandy. Um, she's still pretty active on social media, like she said, and we've got more stuff coming up. How close are we now to Beijing? Very close. Colin, we don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just, look, it's hard to just kind of pinpoint. I want to say, like, right now, the day of recording this, I have a scheduled day for this to air. And so I could literally right now be like, it's a certain amount of weeks away, but the, the difficulty there is if all of a sudden we get another 20 interviews and then I have to bump this up earlier than we thought, then it kind of sounds awkward. So That's um, why we cut the Merry Christmas and Happy New Year from yeah. our opening. And it's also while, <laughs> while we haven't announced the news that Beijing got cancelled and postponed a year, um, which is going to throw all of these bloody interviews up the wind if all of a sudden, you know, Delta 0.30 takes over the world and we're all zombies by the time this airs. So um, let's just say that it's soon, all right? It's soon. It's, so is Paris, so is LA, so is Brisbane, yeah. so is Milan. They're all coming soon. By the time you heard this, we might be that close to Brisbane. So that's exciting. Yeah. We're, we're almost there. <laughs> we are a day closer to Brisbane than we were in the last interview, Colin. So Get ready. KO mm. is coming. Yes. <laughs> a KO from KO. I really want that to happen. If, if KO just has zero interest in boxing, that will be a shame. Uh, but... Uh, uh, maybe there's something else that KO can apply it's to. It's one of those, I, I mean, we've we've had athletes on this show where their last name just screams their sport. Um, you know, there was a famous Formula One driver from America. His name was Scott Speed. I mean, it's just kind of like, mm. it's just, you should be in your sport. Usain so, Bolt. Yeah, well, exactly, right? So, uh, Lightning Phelps? McQueen. Uh, no, Lightning McQueen. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, he was he was meant to get into car racing. Um, 
It was obvious from day one. That's what he was doing. But um, yeah, KO. I, I'm looking KO. forward to it. And also, KO, great sports broadcaster in Australia. Please sponsor us. Yes, please do. <laughs> then we can stop asking our listeners for money. Um, <laughs> Which we've never done before until Colin <laughs> just made it awkward. All right. <laughs> Uh, so That's why Colin's sure. never on these episodes. He's poor at every single time he comes up. We need money, man. Stop putting these out for free. I'm the one, I'm the one who makes money on our podcast. I don't need it. I'm doing this for your benefit. You actually have a job. Uh-huh. <laughs> What's that like? Uh, anyways, make sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, uh, Instagram. It's free in all those places. If you want to find for our two, two to five-year-old episodes... On YouTube, it's free on there. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, free everywhere. We're the free Olympic podcast, uh, the one and only. Uh, the one and only called off the podium, maybe. Uh, thank you, Ben. This was fun again. It was always fun with you, Colin. Thank you. And let me see if I get this right. Uh, this has Do been it. off the podium and turn left. Go left. Go left. Go left. Go, Go left. left. <laughs> Close. Turning Japanese, I think I'm turning Japanese. I